I want to start by reading to you. It's story time. And uh, this is a book that's available on the Mind and Soul uh, bookshop there. And it's one I wrote. So that's why I can recommend it. It's about uh, part of my journey. And it's called Forgiving the Impossible. And I just want to read you a little bit about forgiveness. And this is me speaking. Although it was quite clear in the light of the things I'd been considering, which previously was just about Jesus and what he gave for us and how he has forgiven us so much, forgiving seemed the sensible approach. But I considered that there were possibly some exceptions. Surely this was one of them, meaning me. In my mind, the damage inflicted on me justified my reluctance even to entertain forgiving. I battled it out with God. Finally, I realised that this was a choice. And that's key. It's a choice. One of the most difficult of my life. God wasn't going to bang me over the head with a big stick if I felt that this was a bridge too far. But if I was in fact convinced that it was what I needed to do, then it had to be wholehearted. And I'm not going to tell you all the story. You're going to have to buy it to find out. I just want to acknowledge that um, amongst uh, group like this, there are going to be people from lots of different backgrounds, people who are church leaders, people who are church members, people who are professionals in counselling and mental health, people who have um, had very difficult things happen to them, and all of us have things in our lives, I am convinced, that we have to forgive others for, or that have happened to us that as yet we may not have got round to forgiving. But forgiveness is applicable to all of us. Now, I want some audience participation. And for the the recording, we won't be sending a mic round, but you call out to me, and I will repeat what you've said so it's recorded. Some of the reasons we give... Or maybe we can acknowledge them as excuses about why we don't forgive. And I've got some written down in case we don't cover them. So what are the, some, of, some of the reasons that you can think of that we don't forgive? The person hasn't said sorry yet. It's unforgivable what happened to me. It insults the memory. Sorry, what what about my pride? Being afraid to forgive. It hurts too much. I'm angry. That's a big one. It's very hard. That's the challenge, isn't it? It's very hard. Yeah, I deserved what happened to me. 
our relationship would change. We'll move on to that. They're being let off the hook. All very good. Let me see if I've got any more. Yeah, I haven't said sorry. That's one. What's the point? What's the point? They'll never know I forgave them anyway. He or she doesn't deserve it. What about this one? People will think I'm weak. So there's lots of things that we think about and uh, mull over and think, no, I'm not going to forgive because of this reason or this reason or this reason. And mine was, this has done far too much damage to my life. Why should I forgive him? Look what it's done to me. In fact, I hated the person. So why should we forgive? Well, Jesus talks a lot about forgiveness. And he's the ultimate word on forgiveness. He taught it as a package. You forgive and I'll forgive you. It's in the Lord's Prayer. You know, if I want to put something else into that glass, I haven't got much room left to do it. If I want to put something else in, like orange juice, to add to the water, I'm going to have to tip some of that water out first. And that's like forgiveness. Sometimes when we harbour unforgiveness, we're also packing into our lives anger, Guilt, rage, bitterness, resentment, and our emotional cup is getting higher and higher. The level is rising and rising. Unforgiveness makes a space. Unforgiveness has an impact. Uh, Forgiveness, sorry. Forgiveness makes a space. Wrong word. Forgiveness leaves room because it's powerful and it makes an impact on all those things that have built up and up and up and up. It makes a tie. If we are unforgiving, it ties us to that other person. You know, there are good ties like in good relationships, when our hearts are bound together, when we're affectionate one to another, when we have good conversations together, they're good bonds and good ties. There are bad ties. And unforgiveness ties us into the other person. We've been hearing quite a bit about our thought processes and how our feelings... And the things that we're thinking affect our behavior. And it's the same with unforgiveness. Psychotherapy and counseling recognizes the negative 
of unforgiveness, which is all those things I've spoken about, anger, guilt, resentment, bitterness. But forgiveness increases the positive aspects. So we can become more sociable. We are not isolating ourselves. We can become more friendly, more open to people, much more positive, and it impacts our behaviours. So feelings and thoughts and behaviours are very closely linked. There are examples in the scripture, aren't there, of people who forgave. What about Joseph and the things he went through in his life and didn't see his brothers that had put him in the pit and sold him for many, many years? And I don't know at what point he forgave them. He might have forgiven them the next day. He might have forgiven them when he himself was thrown into prison, having time to think about stuff. He might have forgiven them at another stage in his life, but certainly when he saw them, there was a great reunion together and he forgave them and went as far as to say, what you meant to harm me, God meant it for good. An amazing example of forgiveness. I think about Stephen and uh, when he was being martyred, And uh, the the situation that he was put in was almost one of those that we might class unforgivable situations. But he was able to forgive before God took him. And, you know, standing there was a young man who'd given consent. And it just makes me wonder where... Uh, Stephen forgave the impact of that on Paul. Because later, Saul, who was standing there, was converted on the Damascus, Damascus Road. Was that release from the act of forgiveness that Saul then went on to find the Lord in a dramatic way? And, you know, Paul himself had to forgive himself for those things. Imagine that he had consented, not just to the death of Stephen, but to the death of many other Christians. And now here he was, converted himself, going round to some of those same churches, I have no doubt, that were made up of families who their loved ones had been uh, martyred, murdered, in Paul's consent. He had to forgive himself for some of those things. And other people, amazingly, had to forgive him. And sometimes we elevate Paul and his writings, and in actual fact, he fell far. But we can learn much from that, because he learned forgiveness. And others around him in those churches learned how to forgive too. We all know about the prodigal son and how the father lavished forgiveness on his son. There's a quote from an American rabbi that says, we achieve inner health only through forgiveness. 
the forgiveness not only of others, but also of ourselves. And a theologian, Lewis Smedes, writes, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was you. That's amazing, isn't it? I, from personal experience, was certainly in a prison when I was unforgiving. I actually didn't know why I was like I was. Nobody explained to me. I don't think I let anyone in, actually, to do that explanation. Nobody ever explained to me that my levels of anger and rage may be linked to unforgiveness. I was a prisoner until God spoke to me and said, there's a huge area of unforgiveness in your life. And I had sat with it for the best part of 30 years. There are some myths surrounding forgiveness. And some of the myths relate to that. If I forgive them, it means I've got to be friends with them. If I forgive them, some well-meaning person will say that we've got to be reconciled. If I forgive them, I will be healed completely. If I forgive them, that's the end of the hurt. I wish I could say it was. It's major, but it's not the end of the story. It's necessary, but it's not all that's necessary. And if you're holding back in your life with something serious that you know you're holding on to and you need to forgive and to let it go, but you are afraid because people will be saying, oh, well, that's okay, then you can be friends now. That is not true. It doesn't mean to say that you will be lovey-dovey with that person for the rest of your life. God knows your heart. God knows their heart too. It doesn't mean that you're going to be reconciled. What it does mean is that you, out of your heart, are letting that go, and God will do the rest. And God will have an impact in your experience, and for all we know, God might have an impact in their life as you set them free, but that's not your responsibility. Forgiveness is what God is asking of you to do, and you can only do what God asks you to do. You can't do anything for the other person who's the offender, the person who has hurt you. We spoke earlier, one of the people said that one of the reasons why we don't forgive is because um, it minimises. And that's sometimes what we're hanging on to. If I forgive them, it'll seem as if, oh, well, that's okay then. It didn't really hurt at all after all. We're not saying that at all. Your experience, however big or small you compare it with others, is relative to you. 
It may be something that some people think, oh, well, that's just a small thing. You have um, taken it into your heart. It has impacted you as a bigger thing. It's relative, isn't it? We have impact at different levels from different things. It may be one of those huge things that society would look at as being very serious. Whatever level it is, by forgiveness and offering forgiveness to that other person, it does not minimise what you have gone through. It doesn't invalidate the fact that this was an offence against you and you have been hurt by it. We can't ever change what's happened. The person that has done the act or said the words can never take them back. But what we do with those words and that hurt can impact our future. Forgiveness is very, very powerful. Forgiveness takes time. I told you I sat on an area of unforgiveness for 30 years. God wasn't in a hurry. God wasn't pushing me. God wasn't putting me under pressure. Sometimes other people do. Sometimes the first thing they go for is, you know, the jugular. Have you forgiven? And I tell you, if somebody had have said that to me, I would have felt like giving them a bunch of fives. Because that's the last thing we want to hear. I believe there is a place for other people, particularly other Christians, speaking things into our lives. But those other Christians, and that includes me speaking to people, we have to be really sensitive about when that is and being led by the Holy Spirit. And sometimes God speaks to us directly. For me, it was through reading a book. Other times, God uses people to say gently, do you think there may be an area of unforgiveness? But we have to be sensitive to people who are hurting to make sure we say that at the right time. And forgiveness is a process, not an event. When you cut open an onion, you see lots and lots of layers. And in my experience, my huge area of forgiveness, which was against a a perpetrator, when I can say the word, of sexual abuse when I was a child, um, it was my pastor. It went on for a period of seven years, and it caused a lot of damage to me. When I got round to forgiving him, I didn't just pray once and that was it. God brought me back another time to it and said, said, there's another layer of forgiveness for you. God brought me back to it again and said, we're going down deeper. There's some more forgiving to do. And God brought me back again, just like the onion, 
I'm hoping now I've got the size of a pickled onion, you know? Not a big Spanish onion. But God takes us through a process. And he never puts us under pressure. He'll take us at our speed. He won't push us into it. He'll do it in his time. We have a part to play. We need to be receptive to the work of the Holy Spirit. I think this is great. In the 18th century, Hannah Moore understood forgiveness. If we can get to that place of willingly and readily forgiving as a habit in life, it saves us upset and hurt, anger. It's not easy. But once we've done it once, the next time it's easier. The time after that, it's a little bit easier. God gives us the grace to do it, doesn't he? God gives us the grace and the ability. It's not our own strength, because in our own strength, we can't do it. We need him to help us with it. So let's look then at a process of how we can forgive. If I'm saying to you that forgiveness is an essential part of your journey and your healing, how can you do it if you're in a place of, I don't even want to go there and I cannot even think about it? Let's look at a model as to how we could possibly begin to think about it. The first stage is to look at your life and to realistically assess the damage done to you. So that's taking it in reality, not minimizing what's happened, but being very real and saying, this is the impact on my life of this offense. This is what's happened to me. This is the damage. And consider it. And just begin to think about how your life And living life to the full that we've heard this afternoon has been compromised by the hurt. And then when you've considered the whole impact of that, and I'm not saying how long that will take you, that might take you weeks and months. When you've considered that, you have a decision to make. So step two is decision time. And there's only two two answers to the decision here. It's either yes or no. Yes, I'm going to forgive, or no, I'm not at this stage. And as I wrote the story that I read to you, God is not going to bang you across the head with a big stick if you say no, because he's patient and he's tender-hearted and he has time to wait. So if your decision is somewhere in the middle, you can ask God actually to make you willing to forgive. I am willing, Lord, but I actually can't do it. Please help me 
in that willingness. I will to forgive and help me in that. So you've made your decision. And if it's to forgive, then you have to actually get on and do it. There are no shortcuts. No one can do it for you. You actually have to do the work of forgiveness. My work of forgiveness started with a friend and I said one short prayer. The impact on my life was amazing. Just one short prayer of, it may have been a dozen words, if that. But God heard it and he began the process of healing in me. So it has an amazing impact. So you have to do that job. And sometimes it is like a job because it's hard. It's hard work. That's why it's a challenge. It's hard work to do this. Step four, feel the benefits of forgiveness. And that makes all the pluses of all of that negativity that was beforehand. God just is lavish. The book of um, 1 John tells us, doesn't it, that he's lavish in his love on us. What a beautiful word, lavish. And you know, God comes hearing your heartfelt cry and he gives and he gives and he gives because of your willingness to forgive. So feel those benefits and appreciate what God's doing because you've offered him what has actually been a sacrifice. And number five in our model, do it as often as you need to. And it does get easier. It does get easier. And you need probably to do it fairly often, just like our onion. Sometimes God is amazing and it's all dealt with in one go. Other times we have to revisit it. Because sometimes what happens, the impact of the offence is not always linear. We can't sort of say it's this, this, this and this and this. Actually, as we progress through life, other things are unraveled and we think, yes, that comes from that. And that comes from that. So as we begin to understand the impact and the damage, we're called again then to forgive that area of damage too. So if we don't understand it all when we're doing forgiveness, it doesn't matter because God will unravel it to us. And as we realize the extent of the damage, we need to revisit and forgive again and again as God leads us to. It doesn't matter if today, at the end of a long day, you go away having forgotten every word I've said. That doesn't matter at all. The Holy Spirit is able to touch people's hearts. But I want to leave you with some words that we should never forget. Psalm 
someone far more important than any of us here. The words of Jesus himself. Let's just have a heart of forgiveness or a heart that's willing for God to make us willing. Willing to be willing is the first step. And trust God that he will take you along that journey of forgiveness. I'll take questions. Excuse me if I'm asking a very obvious question, but if the offender knows that you're a forgiving person, doesn't that give them the green light to keep on offending, especially if you're having to work with them and they are rude to you and you forgive and you, you have to keep on forgiving, as it says in the Bible, not just seven times, is it 77 times? Yeah, seven times 70. Seven yeah. times 77. And that the perpetrator does not alter their behavior towards them. Um, ideally, you should get away from them, but sometimes you can't. So if they know you're a forgiving person, they can carry on doing it, can't they? They can. They can. And you're being the responsible person in forgiving, and then you have to leave them to God. When, when, Jesus, as well. Sorry. when Jesus said to forgive seven times 70, he wasn't actually meaning 490 times, I'm sure. What he meant was, we just need to keep doing it. It's innumerable times, probably, that we have to forgive. And you're only forgiving to give yourself peace of mind, I suppose, aren't you? You're forgiving in obedience. You are forgiving to give yourself peace of mind. Is that a bad thing? No, that's the only thing I, I yeah. can see. Because at the same time, you want to hurt them sometimes, don't you? Yes. Or you want yeah, God to punish them. Yeah. Yeah, that's our natural revenge mechanism, isn't it? Isn't that understandable, though? Uh, yes, it's understandable. Because we're human as well. Good. <laughs> Hello. I called someone who offended me, and I said... I've forgiven you, but can you stop? He said, go and forgive yourself, and went back and did worse, worse than what he did. So, well, I still struggle with forgiveness, but I'm not in contact with her. I don't right. see being in contact with her as a means of forgiving, but in my heart, I forgive her, but she hasn't stopped doing what she's supposed, she was doing. She refused to stop and just said, go and forgive yourself. I don't know what to forgive myself for, for seeing somebody as a friend, allow her into my home, and then became a wife of my husband. And, and you're the person that has done the forgiving. Yeah. And I, I, I called her, I said, I saw everything you did, and I'm, I'm forgiving you. Can you please yeah. stop doing it? He said, come forgive yourself. And you ended up married him. And that's what I say about it doesn't always mean reconciliation. The person I forgave... Never knew I'd forgiven him. And also, following my act of forgiveness, 
I began a court process, so that might have been misconstrued. Some people may have thought, well, if she's forgiven him, what's all this about court? And that's not about revenge, that's about justice for criminal acts. And I saw that man who I had forgiven go to prison. But that's forgiveness. How do, you, how do you cope if a person enjoys inflicting pain and has no remorse whatsoever? I just think it's really, really difficult. I don't know how you cope with that. And that's very difficult, but in line with what Jesus said about we keep forgiving, that's the challenge of it, isn't it? Keeping our hearts and lives pure when someone else is deliberately goading us, really. I don't know how you cope with that. Um, Just really a point from what the lady just said. I often think of that verse, um, when you're doing good or, or to someone, to your enemy, it's like pouring coals on their head. Mm-hmm. And I know there's all sorts of interpretations for that, but sometimes you can think, well, it sort of eases the pain. You sort of sense that somehow, I don't know how, but somehow spiritually there are those coals. And <laughs> well, it Jesus, sounds a bit weird. But... Jesus said, didn't he, to bless our enemies and those that curse us. I just wanted to say um, on the principle of um, working with people with mental illness, if you're given information about pain that's been inflicted on um, the individual and then you're in a position where um, you're forgiving someone out, you know, how do you deal with when you're, you're having to forgive somebody for the pain they've put on somebody you're counselling? Would you say it was the same principle? I do believe it is the same principle, yes, because the hurt is still there. You're sort of carrying it in a triangle, aren't you? But the principle is the same, yes. Um, I just was wondering, in terms of when you were talking about justice and saying that actually you were forgiven them, but yet justice still needed to be done. If you're meeting someone who it's quite after the fact that maybe the abuse or the problem has taken place... Would you then encourage, as well as encouraging the forgiveness, would you also encourage going to the police? Would you encourage them to, to seek that justice as well? In the particular case of sexual abuse, um, perpetrators of sexual abuse often have difficulties with that being addictive behaviour. So the thing about uh, reporting to the police is about child protection issues and that that person may still be in contact with children and young people who could be at risk. I think there's a pre-step to your steps for forgiveness, and that's learning to be angry first. Some of the people I work with are so damaged and so broken that they have been taught that the harm that was done to them was all right, really, because they're non-people. And you have first to teach them that they are loved and lovable and they matter and that the harm that was done to them was an abomination and they have every right to be angry and they have to learn to be angry and if somebody comes in before they've reached that point 
and says, oh, you've got to forgive them, then you're just perpetuating the abuse. Yes. And I'm sure that uh, you know many people who have that anger in there, but they've never identified it, and it comes out in different ways. So the anger is there, and it's sort of uh, as if it's um, seeping out in different ways. So it may come out in self-harm. It may come out in uh, their eating. It may come out in lots of different ways. They may not rage and stamp and have tantrums and shout and yell, but the anger is there and it's seeping out all of the time. I'd just like to say, um, following on, I think, from that previous remark, that being a forgiving person does not mean being a doormat. And that that we also have a responsibility to challenge wrong behaviour. We may want to do that in a... Of course, we want to do that in a Christian way. But I would... I sort of slightly feel a sense of uneasiness that that the message needs to be two-sided. Of course, we are called to forgive, but we are also called to stand up for right. And that may sometimes mean being rather assertive and challenging. And there's not a problem with challenge, is there? There's not a problem with being assertive and saying how it is. And that's absolutely fine, yes. What I want to say is, in addition to what the lady in front says, is that uh, the Bible says we should be angry and sin not. So we can be angry, but be angry at the sin, sinful behavior, not at the person. But at the same time, as you said, we need to protect the vulnerable people who probably could be uh, taken advantage of by the perpetrator. Amen. (laughs) And I think the reality is that when we are angry about something, we are angry at the person. And we are angry at what they've done as well. It's a combination of both. But God is very gracious with us and forgives us and forgives them. (laughs) 